What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Carly Schiff on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Carly, I'm just going to toss it at you, start wherever you like with your story. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I know everyone kind of says this on the podcast now, but I really want to thank you, Shelly, for doing this and having me on. It's like crazy to be on. Obviously, I'm not happy to be in this position, but I'm also super happy to share. And like this podcast has literally been the thing that helped me through. Like I found it early on and have listened obsessively to every episode and cried and learned things. And like, I don't know how I would have gotten through without it. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. I mean, I'm not, but no, right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We all feel that way. We're not, but we're happy it exists. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I guess I'll start like talking a little bit about who I am and my husband, like a lot of people do. So I'm 29 and I live in Yardley, Pennsylvania currently. And I am a speech language pathologist, which is funny. I've heard a lot of your guests who are speech language pathologists. Literally the girl that I just recorded with right before you too. Was That's that. so funny. Yeah, I know. And I so feel crazy. like the episode I just listened to was one also, like one of the new, yeah. newer ones you released. Yes. My speech language pathology is like super different than most people. So I work in voice and swallowing disorders. So I work in an ear, nose, and throat department, primarily with adults. Um, and I like evaluate them. And the reason that's important is I sort of work independently. Um, like there's the doctors in my office and then it's just me and I see patients like alone. So I'll get into how that's relevant later. Um, but my husband and I met probably, it's been like eight years ago. We've been married for two. His name's Andrew. He's from the East coast, like New Jersey area originally. And I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. And we met when I was a senior in college and I was home for winter break. My husband's five years older than me. And we met at like a little event for young professionals. And then long story short, we were long distance for three and a half years. And then we finally lived in the same place, got engaged and then moved over here to Yardley, Pennsylvania, which is just right over the border from New Jersey. And when I originally when we originally moved here, I commuted to New York City, which is important. I'll talk about later, um, but that's about like a four-hour daily commute um, because the job that I do is so specific because it's not the regular speech-language pathology. I worked at Columbia's Voice and Song Institute in New York City. So anyway, we always talked about I wouldn't be able to keep that up because, um, you know, we wanted to have a family. I've wanted kids since I was like 13. I was like everyone's mother's helper and a camp counselor and everything. And, um, you know, my husband and I talked about this pretty early on in our relationship and it was just hard to make the decision as everybody kind of feels. And starting April of 2019, I finally found a job closer to home. And so we started to sort of talk about it. And then actually on July 4th of 2019, we were at, uh, his, his family lives around here, my husband's, and we were at a little event and they, his 
nephew who's eight was running around like a madman. And Andrew's brother looked over at us and was like, hey guys, when you're, if you had a kid right now, when your son is eight, Andrew, you'd be 40. And we were like, oh crap, <laughs> we need to get on this. I'm, I'm 29, he's 35, um, or 34. So we decided that I would get off birth control like most people. Um, I had been on birth control since I was 13 years old. And I started originally for like overactive menstrual cycles. I had them too often and they were super heavy. And then I got put on birth control. And then I started to get migraines very badly throughout my life. Um, so they put me on continuous birth control, like when you don't even take the sugar pills, because my migraines would be the worst during my menstrual cycle. And then I was like, okay, that's great. It worked for a little while. And then migraines got worse. And I was on a bunch of medicine and Botox for migraines. So the first step for me before I even came off birth control was actually to get off my migraine medicine because one of the ones I was on has like the highest rate of having um, babies with cleft lip, cleft palate. So that took a couple weeks and you have to wean off it. And then I finally got off my birth control. And then I got the normal bleed that you get afterwards, like the withdrawal bleed. But then I didn't get my period and hadn't gotten my period. And I was Googling and everyone says it can just take time coming off the pill. But like the end of September, I still hadn't gotten my period. And so I just decided to talk to my OBGYN about it. And I was like sometimes testing to make sure I wasn't just ovulating and missing it. And I wasn't and it was not fun. Um, so I stopped doing that. And so my OBGYN was like, you're young. I'm not concerned. But we're going to try you on the Provera challenge, which is the progesterone pills that you take. And then you're supposed to get a withdrawal bleed after that. And the OBGYNs will say this, quote unquote, reset your period. Um, I later find that that kind of isn't true, but I failed Provera. So I spotted a tiny bit, maybe on the last day I was taking the pill, but you're supposed to get a withdrawal bleed after you stop taking the pill. So they consider that failure. And so my OBGYN was like, I don't really know what's going on. She had run some blood work. It had all come back totally normal. She ran, I think it's my AMH, which shows like if you still have good egg reserve, and that was really good. And she would say things like, you know, you're thin. I'm somebody who um, works out a lot. I mean, like I'm not super thin, but I'm definitely on the thinner side. Um, growing up, I was always kind of overweight. And then I got really into fitness. And But I work out probably an hour a day, um, six days a week probably. And this comes into play later as well. So she's like, you're thin, but you're, you're healthy. So I don't really know what's going on with you. Um, you know, you could just wait and see, or you could make an appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist, which I super appreciate now in hindsight. I would have pushed for it either way. I work in healthcare and I'm super self-advocacy, but hearing so many of the stories on this podcast, I can't believe how difficult it is to get a doctor to agree to let you see an RE. So I feel very lucky and she gave me some names and I ended up at RMA of New Jersey, which RMA is obviously a really big practice. Um, and I cannot say enough good things about them. They've been like amazing during this process. Um, so you go and you have your first appointment. And like a lot of people have talked about on this podcast, you have tons of testing, you know, blood work, more blood work for me. Um, my husband had the semen analysis, which he was like a great player in this, but was like so mad. Like he's like, I don't need this. You know, you aren't even ovulating. Like we know the problem is not on my end. Obviously it could also be, but like, I also felt it was silly as like the first step, but 
in hindsight, I'm glad that we know now um, that he's fine. And so the last bit of testing is the HSG, um, where they look to see if your tubes are clear. And I was about to change insurances, fortunately, to a better insurance with my job, but it wasn't kicking in until December 1st. And so it was going to be like the difference between the HSG being like thousands of dollars or just my copay. And so I had to wait till December 1st and I was frustrated by that because you can't start any treatment until after you've done all the testing. So luckily it was Thanksgiving. I went home to my parents' house in Cincinnati. I was super relaxed and you know, ate a lot of great food and didn't really work out and came back. And I was supposed to have an appointment on December 13th with my RE to talk about starting treatment. And on December 11th, I was at work. It was a Wednesday and my husband was actually out of town for work and was getting back at like 2 a.m. that night. And this is kind of TMI, but as I've heard, nothing's really TMI. So I'm going to share. I went to the bathroom at work and I was like, Hmm, like this is what I think that egg white cervical mucus is like. Like I had never had it because I had never cycled. I'd read so much about it and I was like, whoa. So I went and got an ovulation strip at work, like at CVS, like awkwardly did it in the bathroom and it was negative. And I was like, okay, that's weird, but not surprised. And then that night at like 10 o'clock, I'm laying on the couch and I feel like twinges of sort of cramps, something I had not felt in forever. And I was like, okay, come on. Like I, this has to be ovulation. So I go to the bathroom and I have strips at home as well as the like smiley face, clear blue ones. And I take the strip and it's positive. And I was like, what? And then I'm like, I got to confirm with the digital and I take the digital and for the first time ever, I see the smiley face and not the blank face. And I'm like flipping out. I just randomly ovulated on my own and my husband is out of town. <laughs> um, but luckily he came back. I couldn't sleep. I waited up until 2 a.m. And uh, we did the baby dance the next couple days. And then my doctor said she wanted to confirm that I had actually ovulated because you can get an LH surge and get a positive OPK test, but not necessarily ovulate. So December... 13th, I got my progesterone tested and I got it back online because it was a weekend and it was like 1.2. It had been like 0.3 before. And I read about it and that's like not high enough for ovulation. And I had like a total mental breakdown that day. Like I had gotten my hopes up. And then on December 15th, I, which was a Monday, I called my doctor and she's like, let's just test again. Friday might've been too soon. So I did. As an aside, which is just weird that this happened, I got really sick on December 14th, the day before, and had like a fever, but like sort of cold symptoms. Like, I guess I wasn't that sick, but it was like I was in bed with fever. So I was in bed with a fever that entire week and I guess got to relax, which was probably a good thing. Um, but my progesterone then came back as like 11. And so they confirmed that I ovulated. And I don't know why, but once they confirmed that I ovulated, I was like, I'm gonna be pregnant. Like there's no, I had no doubt in my mind. Like I wasn't nervous. I was like, you know, my husband's got a great sperm count. I actually ovulated. We baby danced at the right time. Like I'm going to be pregnant. And sure enough, December 22nd, which was like nine days post ovulation, I was like, I'm going to take a test. I know it's going to be negative because this is too early, but it had like a super faint line on one of those cheapies. And I didn't tell anyone at first. And then, you know, two days later I had like a real positive and told my husband I wanted to do it all cute like most people do but I was in the bathroom and we like never close the door we're just the couple that leaves everything open so I had the door closed and he's like what are you doing in there 
you're being weird. And like, I opened the door and I have the stick in my hand and I'm like, here. And it's, it was still a faint line. So he's like, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> and I told him and we were so happy. And we told our parents like two days later, um, mine, I just like texted them a picture and was like, I have something to show you. And, um, Andrew's parents live around here. So we actually wrapped up the pregnancy test and gave it to them as a Hanukkah gift. So, um, you know, we were super happy and I don't know why, but I was a nervous wreck and I, I don't have anxiety in general. I definitely do now, but leading up to my life, I really didn't have anxiety. Um, you know, I've had some close friends have losses, some of which had losses very close to when I ended up having mine. Um, so I don't know if that was in the back of my head, but I just was a nervous wreck. Everybody was so excited. My family, my sister-in-law would text me nonstop, like, how are you feeling? And I was like, you guys, it's early. Anything could happen. Like, it, I just was so on guard from the very beginning. And so I was starting to have like a little bit of symptoms. I got so bloated so quickly. I could not believe how none of my pants fit. Um, but, you know, other than that, I was definitely hungrier, really tired, but I never really had any nausea or anything like that. Um, but it was still early. And fortunately for me, my RE does early monitoring. So I went in for a five-week, five-day ultrasound. We knew exactly when I ovulated, like literally to the day, because we had that one test that was too early. And then the one two days later, that was good. So they felt confident in monitoring. And so I went into five weeks, five days, and they did the intravaginal ultrasound, and I had a gestational sac where it should be. And they're like, okay, this is great. You know, one of my close friends who had had a chemical pregnancy, unfortunately, didn't get to see that. And I was like, okay, this is good. I have the sac. You know, this isn't technically a chemical. I'm one step into the clear. And they said, you know, we'd love to see the fetal pole and the yolk sac, but it's also early. Not a big deal. I'll come back in two days. So, or three days. So I come back in three days. So it's five weeks, eight days. And you can see the big sack again with like the thinnest white particle line. Like it was just like a straight line. And I, of course, had Googled. I am already such a Googler, but even worse during this. And I'd been on the baby boards and I knew that a fetal pole should look, and a yolk sack should look like a round white circle. And the girl that did the, my ultrasound, my, I'm fortunate that my RE, they do morning monitoring from like 6 a.m. to 7.30 a.m., which is so nice for work, but then you're with a different person every time. <coughs> Excuse me. And so um, it was, you know, someone I hadn't met before, and she was like, huh, like, I see, I think this is the yolk sack, but I'm not sure. And these are all doctors. Like it's not an ultrasound tech that does mine. It's always a doctor's or I work actually with a nurse practitioner. And so she's like, we definitely want to have you come back. So they're like, come back in, in like, I think it was 10 days. And so I go home and of course I'm freaking out and I'm like Googling this and I'm posting my pictures on the baby forum and asking questions and um, and at this point they had never even given me pictures. I would just like take a picture of the screen and I was looking and I emailed my nurse and nurse practitioner and they called me and they were like, my nurse was like, Haley, who's my nurse practitioner, who is my provider. You know, your numbers look good. Your HCG is rising. Your progesterone is good. Like Haley's confident that this is fine. Like that's definitely fine. 
And so I, I listened to them, but at the same time, I just felt so anxious about it. And as everyone says, when you're waiting on this stuff in limbo, like one day is literally like three years. So the next 10 days was a horrible going to work, trying to give my all caring for people when I'm dealing with this myself is, was, has been, and still is super challenging for me. Um, and so I go back six weeks, uh, nine days, or I guess that's no six weeks and seven days. And I bring my husband this time. He hasn't come to any of the appointments. My husband is my best friend, such an amazing man, so supportive, hates mornings. So to get him to come with me on this Friday morning was like, he was so not into it and he wants to go as late as possible. And I like to get there at 6 a.m. when there's no wait and I go before work. So this is just a funny aside. I had thought the monitoring was from 6 to 8 a.m. because literally I never care because I go at 6 a.m. And so he wanted to like leave the house at 7.30 and I managed to get him up and we left the house at 7 and we walked in at like 7.28 and monitoring is only until 7.30. So I literally would have freaked out if we had missed it because I had waited so many days for it to become Friday to go. Um, but it was a long wait as I expected. It was about an hour wait because that's when everybody goes for morning monitoring. And I'm so anxious and he's like, it's going to be fine. Calm down. Like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And then we get into the room and thankfully it was my nurse practitioner that morning doing the monitoring. And I, you know, they always turn the screen so I can see it, which is amazing. And Andrew's just standing next to me and I can see immediately on the screen that there's like a giant empty sack with probably some like little dots, whitish dots. But I mean, by this point I should have been able to see the fetal pole and maybe even, you know, see flickers of a heartbeat. And there was nothing but that big black hole. And I had obviously Googled this and I had heard the term blighted ovum. And I knew I like immediately looked away from the screen and I looked at Andrew and he was still confused because he hadn't, you know, done the research. And after a while of Haley being quiet, I remember her just being like, I'm so sorry, Carly. And it was so weird because just like people say, I mean, I have that ingrained in my head, but when it happened, like I just was like, mm -hmm. like I just like nodded my head and was like, yep, I knew it. Like I told y'all that this was happening and it just was like confirmed what I had been so worried about. And Andrew like came over and held my hand and I like, totally just like was silent, kept it together. And, you know, Haley is amazing. I can't say enough amazing things about her. You know, she was so kind and spent time in that room with me and was like, okay, so here are your options. You can either wait it out or you can have a DNC. And later I'm going to talk about, she didn't give me a pill option and I didn't know anything yet. You know, the, the couple friends I had 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 natural miscarriages. So I immediately in that moment was like, I'm not having a DNC. I'll do this naturally. And she was like, okay, you know, take some time to think about it. Like, please let me know if you have any questions. And so she leaves the room and, you know, my husband comes and hugs me and he cries, which Andrew does not cry very often. I think he's cried like three times in our eight year relationship. So Andrew's crying and I'm crying. And I had actually told 
quite a lot of friends because I had had a lot of friends who had babies recently. And so when I was struggling with ovulation, I was asking them questions and then they ended up just like being on my journey with me. So I just felt such an urge to like text everybody and just be like, never mind, empty sack. Like I just wanted to tell everybody that knew. Um, and you know, I'm so glad we told our families. I know a lot of people don't tell their families till later on, but I thought, you know, like, what if something happens to me with this pregnancy? Like I am going to want my family. I mean, I feel grateful that I've never felt embarrassed during this. Hearing this podcast has made me feel even more open and wanting to share. But even the moment it happened, like I of course had a million questions, like what can I change? Is there anything I could have done? But I never felt embarrassed. Like it's not our fault. It happens to us and that freaking sucks. So, you know, no one should feel embarrassed. And Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but we are sponsored by My Vitro. After three miscarriages and two rounds of IVF, Danielle Hall started My Vitro to help other women struggling with infertility. Frustrated with the options available to store her expensive fertility medications, she created the Fertility Caddy to organize all of the needles, vials, injectable pens, and supplies that are necessary for a treatment cycle. Feel prepared and ready to take control when that giant box of drugs shows up on your doorstep. Use code LAM, L-A-M, for 10% off of your order at myvitro.com. And as always, thank you for supporting the sponsors who are supporting our show. Now let's get back to it. So I, you know, had my family support and my parents are far away and my mom kept being like, do you want me to come? And I'm like, mom, no, like there's nothing you can do. Um, and so that weekend was, I had to decide like, do you want to do it naturally? Do you want to do the DNC? And then I had to go in the following Monday for like the quote unquote confirmation ultrasound. Um, oh, and at this point, my HCG is still rising. It was on the lower end, but it was up to like 13,500. So my blood work was still elevating, um, I guess not exactly like it should, but pretty high. And so I started, you know, texting some friends. Like I had a friend whose sister went through it and she's like, oh, she took the pill. And I'm like, what? And so of course, then I started going down the Google rabbit hole of the pill and I'm like freaking out. And this is sort of a um, theme throughout my miscarriage and steps after is trying to make decisions. I feel like I can't make decisions and there's just so much information and so many people give you conflicting information. So I email my RE about the pill and she emails back and she's like, you know, we don't typically give that, but you know, you're at low risk for high bleeding, which I still don't really understand to this point, but she's like, Carly, if you want it, I'll give you this pill. Um, and I had also already called my OBGYN and ugh, everyone in this process has been amazing except for the nurse on the phone who was so rude. And I was like, there's this pill. And she's like, well, you got to come in for counseling. Cause that's an abortion pill. And I'm like, okay, like I'm having a miscarriage. This is not something that I'm choosing. Um, so long story short, I end up deciding to do the misoprostol and that was a horribly hard decision. But I was like, I have to at least try it. And, you know, I, I have a really high pain tolerance and I'll be okay. And of course, I read about it on the baby boards and heard people's stories. And, but I just decided to go for it. And so um, my husband wanted to be home while I took it, but could not get off work Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, and Monday we went in and 
of course, confirmed that there was nothing in there. Um, and so I had to go to work Tuesday and Wednesday, knowing that this was not viable, that it had never been viable, I guess. Um, and that, as I've heard so many women on this podcast talk about, is so difficult. Like knowing you have this secret of a non-viable pregnancy, but you still have most of the symptoms. I'm so thankful I was never nauseous, but I'm still hungry and I'm eating a ton and gaining weight and tired and it's not, it's for nothing. Um, and I struggled at work and I had missed Monday and, you know, I'm not close enough with my coworkers yet at work because I haven't been there for very long and I work at four different offices to tell them. And so, you know, it was like all day long I had to smile and pretend that I'm good and listen to all my patients' concerns and smile. And, you know, I, I do enjoy my job, but sometimes that empathy gets exhausting. And especially when you are dealing with stuff that you feel is more traumatic than the people that you're seeing. And so that was a struggle for me. But on Wednesday night, I went ahead and took the misoprostol and my doctor had prescribed it to me orally. And I had heard from so many people that they took it vaginally. So I was of course freaking out about that. Like, which do you take? Googling that. I called the doctor on call and she said to take it vaginally. And so I just went ahead and took it vaginally. And so Thursday, I'm like waiting and I expected to wake up Thursday morning miscarrying because um, my husband's, one of his friends is an OBGYN and he said, take it like in the middle of the night so that you sleep through most of it and you have it during the day. And so I took it at like 3 a.m. and come like 2 p.m. the next day and I'm like hunkered down, like sitting on towels, like pad ready. And I go to the bathroom and I have like a touch of blood. And I'm like, okay, it's starting. And it didn't. And so that night I called my OBGYN and he said, okay, let's take another round of it. So Friday I go and like going to the pharmacy and picking up this misoprostol is just a weird experience in and of itself. So I take the second dose and like literally nothing on Friday, like no cramping, not even a spot of blood, nothing. And so I'm like, okay, I have to get a DNC. Like there's no other option. My body like literally can't even miscarry. And so my doctor, I call him and he's like, we can't do it until Monday. Like the hospital considers this elective surgery. And so we can't do it like over the weekend. And I'm like, elective, this is like not elective, but I couldn't, you know, make them do it. Um, and so I had told my boss about this because I was missing a lot of work. Um, and so I called him and thankfully he's been so supportive, but I was supposed to interview a girl on that Monday who was flying in for an interview for a speech pathology position. And I'm the only speech pathologist. I started the department in my practice. So um, I had to tell her. And to be honest, like, I know I don't know that girl at all, but I felt like, I feel like sharing it is so much more honestly, like respectful and makes it easier on me than being like, oh, I had like a little personal emergency. Like that doesn't cut it when you have somebody flying into interview. So um, she was lovely. And my boss helped out by meeting her and interviewing her. So on Monday I had the DNC and, you know, I cried pretty much the entire weekend and couldn't move off the couch and literally like 
anybody that lives with depression, I have so much more respect for those people because I felt what true depression was for the first time. Like you can't move. And, um, I, on Monday we had the DNC and that went really smoothly. Um, I was doing okay that day when I was actually in the um, room waiting to go in. I had the most lovely nurses. I know a lot of people have said they've had not great experiences with their DNC, just with like people asking them what they're there for. But I had an amazing experience. And one woman right before we went in was like, I hate to ask you this, but like we do a prayer for your you know, baby if you want to. And I just like started sobbing. Like I wasn't expecting that because like a bladed ovum is not, it's not, not a miscarriage. Like it is totally, but it's not like I ever got to see a baby in there, but it still like was life. And it just, you know, something went wrong before it was able to latch on and get its life. Um, but I just like sobbed and of course said yes. And that was like so sweet. I'll never forget that. Um, so I recovered really well from the DNC. I was fine that day after just a little tired. Um, I was fortunate that they just did like twilight anesthesia, not um, actually like intubation anesthesia and was doing fine. And again, didn't have any bleeding afterwards. And I was really surprised about that for like four days. And then on that Friday, so the DNC was on Monday. And then on that Friday, I had like a busy day and I decided that I was going to go shopping at one point and buy myself a new outfit that actually fit. Cause I still, my body had changed so much and I was supposed to go out that night with a close friend of mine and I was going to have a drink and sing at a piano bar and have a good time. And I started getting pretty bad period cramps during the day and started bleeding and wore a pad. And, you know, it just seemed like one of my worst periods. And I was like, okay, like this is kind of weird, but, um, like I kind of expected this at some point. And then that night I'm like about to get ready to go out for my event. And I had what everyone describes with their miscarriage, which is literally like, I haven't obviously been in labor. This would have been my first child, but I can imagine that that's what it's like because it's like waves of pain that you cannot breathe during, you can't talk. The only thing you can do is like keel over and just hope that it passes. And thankfully for me, they were only like two to three minutes at a time. And then I'd be in just like moderate pain. Um, but that lasted probably an hour. And like, all I wanted to do was go to the bathroom and like push. So I can imagine when you're giving birth and you're not allowed to push how horrible that is. Um, but I did. And this is gross, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, at one point I was like pushing and I saw something like coming out of me and I had to sort of like pull it out. And it was a blood alien baby is what I call it. Um, my doctor has said that it was probably just like uterine lining because I hadn't shed for so long, I guess, but it was like long and wide and gross. So, um, after that, I immediately felt better. So obviously my uterus was trying to contract to get things out. Um, and that was sort of like the end of recovering physically. Um, it took another like two weeks to, for my HCG to go down. And, you know, obviously emotionally it was super hard. Like I couldn't go a day without crying. I feel like 
finally, honestly, as of like probably eight days ago, I finally am doing better emotionally, but um, it was really rough. And I had, and still do have horrible anxiety about it happening again. Um, obviously, like Shelly, you've been through so many and a lot of people on this podcast have been through a lot. And, you know, your doctors like to be like, one is so common, like, especially my OBGYN, he's a guy, he's really great, but he's like, you know, my wife and I had one and now we're fine. Like, you're not going to have another one. And like, anytime I try to ask a question, he's like, you're not going to have another one. You're going to be pregnant by the next time I see you. And I'm like, but that's not necessarily true. Like I could have another one. Um, and the way I deal is by learning information. So, you know, this podcast has been amazing and I've come to my RE with so many questions and so many requests for testing. And Haley is just amazing. She spent an hour and a half with my husband and I afterwards in person answering all of my insane questions. Um, but long story short, I was deficient in vitamin D. And so I'm on a vitamin D supplement. My prolactin is a little bit high. Um, so I may have to get that a brain MRI at some point for that. Um, and what else? I think that's actually it um, in terms of what was abnormal. But so I was waiting again to start cycling after um, the, you know, I recovered from everything and my HCG was back to zero, which took about two and a half weeks. And I, of course, never started cycling again. Um, and so Haley had diagnosed me with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And what that is, is when you amenorrheas don't have a period due to your hypothalamus not secreting the correct hormones or not working, like your hypothalamus is shut off. And she had told me that like after I got my HSG and it was normal, but she never said that I could do anything about it. And so she said it again, you know, this is your HA is the short term for it. And, you know, we can probably start some treatment for you for the HA. So you know, oral medicines usually don't work to make you ovulate, but, you know, usually you have to go to injectables, but let's try it. So she put me on five milligrams for five days of letrozole. The other word is femra. It's very similar to Clomid, but the reproductive endocrinologists tend to use letrozole more because it doesn't affect the lining of your uterus. And my lining had always been very thin when they measured it. So I took that for five days. And then you go back in to see if you grew a follicle. And I hadn't, of course, it didn't work. And so, you know, they're like, let's just confirm with your blood work. And so I get an email later that day. That was Friday the 6th. And my March 6th. And my parents were actually coming in town. And um, I get the email that's like, you know, you're. LH is still low, your FSH is still low, your estrogen is still low, your progesterone is still low. They call it baseline hormones. Um, so it's like as if you should be getting a period, but my uterine lining is really thin. So she said, let's go ahead and move to Menipure injections, which is where they inject the gonadotrophin, I think is how you say it, um, which are all those hormones that I don't secrete naturally. And so, of course, I was so upset. And then my parents came to visit and having my mom with me, I mean, I think I cried every tear that I have to cry out on that Friday. I just cried all day. I cried in the shower. I cried on the floor of my closet, like hard sobs. And um, 
I was scrolling through my Instagram at one point and I found, I didn't even know I followed this account. So I feel like it was a gift from God. I found the um, account, no period, now what? And it's Dr. Nicola Rinaldi and her book is amazing. And if you've been diagnosed with hypothalamic amenorrhea, you should get it. And basically hypothalamic amenorrhea is almost always in women who underfuel and overexercise or those who have lost a lot of weight in the past. And it's because your body is stressed and your hypothalamus is stressed and it shuts off and it doesn't secrete the female hormones because that's like, if you're not fueling it enough, then it's like, I can't sustain you to get pregnant. And coming to terms with that was really, really difficult because I do not have an eating disorder. I never have had one. Um, and a lot of these women do. So, you know, I kind of felt like I didn't necessarily fit the category exactly, but at the same time, I definitely have struggled with weight and body image since I was like 11 years old and my parents had me go on Weight Watchers diet. And so, and I'm like, I've asked my doctors throughout this process if like my working out and my fitness or my weight is an issue. And they've always been like, well, you're thin, but you're fine. Definitely not. You know, you're not like a crazy marathon runner or don't eat enough. And so I decided to just go ahead and read the book. And like, if a book has ever described me more, like it, <laughs> this book is me. And all the blood work goes with it. So people with HA are often almost diagnosed with PCOS because we have a lot of follicles and small follicles. And that's just because they're not maturing. And people with HA always have baseline hormones and they typically have a high AMH, which is what I did. And the uterine lining is often thin and the estrogen is low. Like it is me. And so I, the, the treatment in the book is to go all in, which means you consume at least 2,500 calories a day, at least, and don't work out at all. Zero working out. And it's not that you have to do that forever, but you have to prove to your body that it's okay and it's safe. And then it may start producing hormones. And so I'm, I was thinking back to the one time I ovulated by myself, and it was about a week after I had been home in Cincinnati for Thanksgiving and eaten all the food and relaxed and wasn't stressed. And so I decided to do it. Um, and Friday, oh, and at the same time, um, my husband and I decided that we wanted to see if I could at least try a higher dose of letrozole because that's what the book recommends and before I start the Menipure injections. And I did, luckily, again, my RE Haley is just the best and is always willing to do whatever I bring her within reason if it's you know medically appropriate. And I did it for another week. And on Friday, March 13th, I went in and Haley was like, hmm, I had grown a 22 millimeter follicle, which is great. And my uterine lining was much thicker. And so she said, you know, tonight you're going to go home and induce ovulation with Ovadrill. They give you this little shot that well, you have to give it to yourself, but it um, actually puts HCG in your body, which works the same way as an LH surge because my LH still wasn't surging on its own yet. And it makes your egg drop. So they tested my progesterone afterwards to confirm and it was 13. And I, of course, listening to this podcast and like everything else about fertility treatments, I wanted progesterone supplements um, because not that my progesterone has ever been bad, but it's like, I was freaking out that it might be. And again, my own brain has been exhausting me. Um, but 
thankfully, again, Haley was willing to give it to me. And so I'm on that. And I'm currently in my two-week wait. Um, it's a weird wait because you have HCG in your system for a while because of the Ovidril. Like I've been testing every morning because I'm obsessed with testing like everyone else. And the HCG, still, like my pregnancy test still isn't negative from that Ovidril injection. And I'm probably going to end up overlapping like when you would get a super faint negative with the HCG, like super faint negative from actually being pregnant to the HCG decreasing. So I'm probably going to just keep testing and watch it hopefully rise. Um, you know, I know not everyone gets pregnant again on their first try, but I feel like everybody in my life that I know that had a miscarriage did get pregnant again in their first month. So I, you know, my journey is not theirs, but it's hard not to sort of get anxious about that. Um, but yeah, that's my story. I'm finally seeing a therapist. I tried to see one in the middle um, and I really didn't like her, but I found a great one and I've had two sessions with her and that's where I am now. Ah, that's so exciting <laughs> and so nerve wracking. The two yes. weeks is oh. like brutal. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and I was just thinking about that. I'm like, gosh, and then you're going to, I mean, because you're going to overlap a little bit, that yeah. like beginning stage of when you can get a positive is going to be quite the mind fuck for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I just have to like wait for it to get dark because yeah. I never, like last time I had like a splinter. It was so faint when I was pregnant the last time. But like, you know, this time that's what I have right now, but it's definitely still from the shot because I watched it every day. Yeah. Oh. That's exciting yeah. though. I, I mean, something to look forward to and have hope for and yes. that, that's everything on this journey. So yes, uh, I appreciate you jumping on and sharing. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? Yeah, I thought about that, of course. Um, and I would just say, learn all you can and ask questions and self-advocate. I know a lot of people recommend that, but like, Working in, in healthcare and having worked with doctors most of my career, like they are amazing and they always mean well, but doctors also can get stuck in their loop in what they see and how they treat every day. And so always self-advocate. And if you have a doctor that won't listen to your questions or won't you know, consider the things that you're bringing to them, then find a different one ASAP. <laughs> Yes, I totally agree. And if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? So I am on Facebook, Carly Schiff. Um, and then also I'm on Instagram. I'm, it's my maiden name, so it's at Cantor C. I'm, I'm sure you'll link it. Um, I do have it private, but just send me a message. Like, I would love to talk to anyone. I've reached out to people from this podcast. And um, like Amelia Goldman was one that, whose story was so similar to mine. And it was so nice to be able to talk to her. So seriously please feel free to send me a message. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you've reached out to people because that's what this is all about. And I think sometimes people think that they're going to be like annoying or a burden or something, you know, by reaching yeah. out. Yeah. That's kind of why we're here. Totally. Know, to build this community. So you guys reach out to anybody who's been on this podcast. Um, all the girls are open and they're more than willing to just talk through things and support one another. So I just appreciate you for jumping on and sharing and I'm excited to kind of keep up with your story. You'll have to keep yes. me posted. Absolutely. Thank you so much for creating this community, Shelly. Yes. Well, I couldn't do it without you. So I appreciate it and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.